Um, about eight years ago, 200,000 people killed, millions displaced. It, it was just an un unbelievable tragedy. And um, so we, we've got to have some kind of a grid to help us, you know, look at this thing. And we can't just blame it on, well, this is the judgment of God. There were judgments of God in the Bible, and, um, and, but, you know, we're not smart enough to know. I know with the, with the uh, deal with uh, Haiti, um, Pat Robertson, when he, he said that, uh, you know, the island was under a curse and because they made a deal with the devil at some earlier point in the history that they had to go through this. But, you know, a lot of people uh, rebuked him for that because it's just a little arrogant to say, well, this is the judgment of God uh, because of that. It's, it's, it's a little too convenient or inconvenient, however you look at it. Miles Monroe, who is no longer with us, but a great teacher uh, who lived in the Bahamas, and he's got many books out. I met him here. He was in Columbus a number of years ago speaking at a conference, and they had him sign his book for me and talk to him a little bit. Uh, he, re he repudiated the statement that Pat Robertson said and called him on the carpet, asked him to withdraw those statements and make a public apology to the suffering Haitian people, especially the Haitian Christian community around the world who need our support at this devastating time, not our condemnation. We were in a, we were in a United Brethren Church last week, and the uh, missions pastor was getting ready to take uh, a group of young people to Haiti. And um, so after the service, my friend John Smith introduced me to this guy, and I asked him right off the bat, I said, why do you think that <clears throat> with all the mission um, input that has gone into Haiti, Haiti is probably the most missionized little country in the world. And yet, it still is in such darkness. I said, how do you explain that? And so he, he looked up for a moment, and he just thought about it. He said two things. He said, the first thing is that the government is very corrupt and has been very corrupt for years and years. And because of that, the people just expect, you know, that the, the business under the table is the way it's going to be type of a thing. That corruption is just the way it is, so you might as well just you know, go along with it, so, so on and so forth. And he said the second thing is that most of the people, and I agree with this, most of the groups that go into Haiti bring a kind of light Christianity to the island, not something real, real significant, real, real deep that can bring really great change. And so combination of those two things. But still, when we think of any kinds of natural disasters or tragedies, we must understand that the Bible says that God does not take pleasure in these things. Uh, in Ezekiel uh, chapter 18, verses 22 and 23, it says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Sovereign Lord? Rather, I am not pleased when they turn from their ways Am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Verse 32 says, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. So there it is from God's Word. God's not pleased about these things. Now Jesus 
had authority over the natural area. I mean, he stood up in the boat and rebuked a storm and uh, perhaps saved the lives of the disciples. But these things are just part of, and I'm sure Adam said this last week, the fallen world that we live in because of the consequence of Adam and Eve's sin in the beginning. We live in a world that's still trying to claw itself back to some kind of uh, Edenic paradise that we had before the fall. Well, let's look at some biblical pictures. Um, We look at Job's experience. uh, And um, Job was a righteous man. He he served the Lord. But uh, the enemy came to God one day and he said, Well, you know, he only serves you because of what you do for him and what you give to him. And so God gave the enemy um, permission to tempt him all the way to everything, but he said, You can't take his life. Basically, Job, in the process, in a fairly defined uh, period of time, maybe a three-month period, lost all of his, his cattle and his sheep and his workers and his, some of his family. And, and uh, as you read through the book of Job, his friends try to uh, condemn Job because they say, you know, you've done something wrong. This is one of the main Old Testament understandings. If things aren't going right in your life or bad things are happening to you, it's because you've done something wrong. You've sinned. And we even see this with Jesus in the New Testament at points. But that wasn't the answer. And then Job admits in in chapter 42 and verse 3, he admits that he didn't have the answers. And so he repents and he casts himself on the God of history. Who is that that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. And he turns around and he says, look, I don't understand this, but I know that God is in charge of everything. And so I'm going to just close my eyes. If I've done something wrong, I repent. If I've uh, been walking the wrong way, I cast it down to you, Lord, and I ask for your forgiveness. And when he did that, the whole thing changed. The Bible says that, that God um, restored Job. And gave him how much more at the end? Twice what he had. And what he had was no sham. So, how about in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 18, there was weeping and wailing in Ramah on the death of all the infants killed by Herod in his search for the baby Jesus. Now think of that. Try to process that tragedy. A voice was heard in Ramah wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. So Herod, in his desperate uh, attempt to find Jesus, and he realized that the, uh, the wise men had misled him, and he was very, very angry. He just said, well, we're just going to slaughter all these from two years old down. Jeez, unbelievable tragedy that people have to negotiate sometimes in this life. How about in Luke chapter 13, where the Tower of Siloam fell and killed 18 people in a kind of random event. And um, Jesus asked 
uh, the, the crowd that was there, he said, were these worse offenders than all the others that dwelt in Jerusalem? He said, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So Jesus used a, a tragedy. A tower fell and killed 18 people. He said, are these people worse than the rest of the people who didn't get crushed? No. But, what, you know, the key is we need to keep our focus in this life on God. We need to keep our focus. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're asked to to uh, endure, if we keep our focus, in the end, it's going to turn out all right. In Numbers chapter 16, verse 1, there's a thing called Korah's Rebellion. A, a group of uh, people uh, rebelled against Moses and Aaron. And um, so what happened was that the ground opened up and swallowed them alive. At least there's some context to this one. How about the plagues of Egypt or a number of other biblical disasters through history? None of this is easy to talk about, but if you don't have some kind of a context, some kind of a grid to run it through, you're really left hanging. So my purpose today is to help give us that kind of, uh, to set some kind of context for that. We're not given any guarantees in this life, but we are promised the presence of God. Moses told the Lord, uh, after he was very frustrated trying to get these people of Israel to march in line and, and to live up to their prophetic mandate, he t and God said, take him into the promised land. Moses says, I ain't gone unless you go with me. I'm just not going to do it unless you go with me. I want your presence. Let me tell you, that is the, that is the main thing. And I, by the way, I think it's probably one of the shameful things about the church in North America is that they're trying to do church without the presence of God. And you can't do it because church is about the presence of God. God in our midst. And you can, you can have great worship, you can have great programs, you can have great outreach, but the people are not going to be changed unless they're changed from within. This is an inside job, amen? And so we need the presence of God. Moses realized that. He said, I ain't going nowhere unless you go with me. And so God said, all right, I'll go with you. <laughs> All right, what, what is this all about, anyway? What, what's kind of the, the big picture on all this? First of all, um, these things, uh, these, these earthquakes and tsunamis, these natural disasters uh, on, on a grand scale, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that these are birth pangs. Now, I've never had a child, and I don't intend to have one. I mean, I shared in it, but I didn't birth one. And, but I know that there are birth pangs involved in that, you know? And some people just, some women just seem to sail through it, I guess, and others like, say, I'm never getting pregnant again. But it, it's, it, it's a thing that is in anticipation of a greater thing. And that greater thing 
is the child that comes forth and you see their little face and count their little toes and count their little fingers and just, you know, it's like, it's really, really cool when you said, I produced this. And um, you know, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the creation was subjected to futility and that it will be set free from its bondage to decay. So the Bible clearly points to an escalation of these kinds of events prior to the coming of the Lord. We're going to see more of them, and we're going to see them come with greater intensity as we get closer to the end. Now, I don't know when the end is, and I'm not going to predict the end. But uh, we've had people predicting the end when Jesus come back from a long time. We have people... We had people right down here on Mamie Drive spend the whole day on the roof of their house because they thought Jesus was coming back that day because some crackpot had prophesied it. And I tried to preach to him. I tried to tell him, you can rest tonight. He's not coming back tonight. And I don't know when he's coming, but I know when he's not coming, and it's not tomorrow morning, Monday morning. So, so as people of biblical faith, we must understand this. In fact, the scripture details at least 12 major categories of distress prior to the coming of the Lord. Okay? What are they? I don't know if these are on the screen or not. You know, they are. Deceptions. Deceptions. You think we're living in a world where there's any deceptions? I mean, can you believe anybody in Washington, D.C. anymore? Wars and rumors of wars at any, at any given time. On the earth, there's at least 40, 40 or more wars going on. Famines. You know, there's, there are people dying by the hordes because they don't have enough food, don't have enough water. Sometimes I'll, I'll draw uh, a glass of water from, we're on a well right down the road here, but we have a, a purifying system. I'll draw a glass of water and I'll just hold it up to the light like this and look at it before I drink it. Because I've been around the world in different places and I know that two-thirds of the world do not have what we have at our fingertips today, which is a good glass of water. It's the truth. You can take it to the bank. Pestilences. We're seeing those kinds of things go, go across the earth. Earthquakes. Anti-Christian and anti-Semitic movements, betrayals, <clears throat> increased hatred, false prophets, lawlessness and violence, the gospel being received in the whole world. If you go to the Museum of the Bible, you'll see how many they got one, this one room, with, and they, they've got a running count of how many translations are being... Uh, translations of the Bible are being produced uh, monthly and how far we are uh, to, to the end where every single language and people group has a translation. It's just incredible. Increase in satanic influence. Well, I think we can all see that one. And uh, it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Um, we're living in end times. And uh, I believe that there's an overwhelming agreement uh, from the evangelical church and from the prophetic side of the church uh, that this is, this is so. This is an issue. Now, not every generation can live at the end of time. 
But there is going to be a generation that lives at the end of time. Just think about that for a moment. Not every generation could have lived when Jesus was alive. But there was a generation that did live when Jesus was alive. That's why we're here today. So we've got to believe that when the Bible prophesies about the things that ordained for the times that we live in, we've got to live as if we are in those times. Hello? Does that make sense? Like Anna, who spent 84 years in the temple praying and fasting, waiting for the Messiah to come, and he finally came. She did that because she believed that they were getting close to the time when the Messiah would be revealed. Herod killing all those people. Why do you do that? Because he believed that he was living in the time that the Scripture had prophesied that the Messiah would come, and he wanted to find him. Well, just like that today, we've got to live in our day as if we are in the end of days. Because I believe that we are hurling toward it. We've got enough nuclear power in this world right now to decimate the entire planet. I mean, you know, all, all you got to do is just everybody press their own switch and it's over. So, it, it, you know, it, it, it's possible. Anything's possible. But we need a grid to understand where we're at on the prophetic scale of life. Amen? So these are the birth pangs of the day of the Lord. Why is it for, so difficult for us to believe that we're living in times that the Bible has prophesied? Um, <clears throat> well, I hope that as a result of this message, maybe we can, we can click us a few clicks forward in that understanding. The, the prophetic perspective gave context to their journey in the New Testament. And if they hadn't had that, our history would be very different today. So they lived their lives as if what God said was true. And I live my life now as if what God says is true. And I'm trying to give myself to it um, at this point in my life. And um, I take, I, you know, I have this feeling that I turned 70. I'm not going to say that very loud. And I'm at the car wash the other day, and this African-American man's beside me, and he's not drying his car off. He's just sitting on the tailgate resting. And I went up to him, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, Getting old ain't for sissies. And he started laughing. He said, oh, man, I know that. And so we started sharing a little bit about, well, just, you got to make every moment count once you get a certain age. John Bieber knows about this back there, I'm sure. But, you know, you can't. One thing that irks me is waiting in traffic. It's a waste of my life. And, and you know, just because there is a red light and it's, 11 o'clock at night and nobody's around, do I waste my life more or do I obey laws? Well, I'm not going to tell you the answer to that. There's no question that this is one of the biggest uh, tragedies. Uh, we're seeing some of the biggest tragedies of our, life, of our lifetime in the days that we live. So let's give some context for this. 
Adam, I got a few more minutes. All right. Um, what, what are some things that we can do in the midst of this situation? Well, one thing is that we can pray and we can ask the Lord, how can we invest when there's a tragedy? You know, Franklin Graham has a, a, a horde of semi-tractor trailers that he takes to places where there's some kind of disaster. And uh, I think it's called um, Samaritan's, well, Samaritan's Purse. And um, they arrive and they bring food and they bring water and all these kinds of things when there's a disaster or a hurricane or tornado or there's great devastation. That's fantastic. That's, that's being proactive. And you and I, when that happens, we can give $5 or $10 to Samaritan's Purse to help him do that. That's the Christian community. That's something positive we can do in the midst of the darkness and uh, uh, the betrayal of our world. Obviously, we cannot bring back the dead, but we can help the living. In this global village, we live in our action. We, as, as we live in our actions, will force a function that can meet the need of the hour. And so that's one thing we can do. What else can we do? Well, we need to make the most of each day and the relationships that God has given to us. Uh, Matthew 6.25, Jesus says, Do not worry about your life or what you will eat or drink. and Do not worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Like I said, yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not here. This is all we have today. Let's make the most of this day and let's live for Jesus and let's try to make an impact. Let's touch another soul if it's just giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name or something more, let's try to make that difference. Would you do that with me? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank God for what you have, but stay focused. That's one of the main words of this message. Stay focused in your life. Um, you know, I get rebuked sometimes when I, when I gripe about a measly power outage. And one time in our electric went off about 12, 10, 12 years ago, and we were, out, we were without power for, I don't know, it was almost a week, and it was so cold in there. And I, we didn't want to leave because we didn't want the, the pipes to freeze and stuff, but at the same time, so I said, I'm getting a generator. That's all there is to it. I don't care how much it costs. I'm getting a generator. Now I got a generator, so when the power goes off, it comes on. But, you know, you compare that to some of the things that are happening around the world, and laughable. I mean, come on, give me a break. Even though we are at the end of the line, we're like the last, we're three houses over the county line, so we're at the end of the line. AP, we're out here. We're here. Send us some power. So thank God for what you have. Um, and, and realize that um, uh, it could be much, much, much worse. What else can we do? Well, we can maintain fellowship with the Lord and with the Lord's people. We need one another. It's God's way. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So when these things happen, it's important that the community pull together. I told the mayor a couple of weeks ago when we got a new uh, 
uh, outreach for our, our new apostolic network. We've adopted a zip code downtown, 43205, which is just east of downtown. And what we're going to try to do is we're going to put people in boots on the street. we got two teams going out uh, uh, per, per, per day from two different churches. One team goes out between 5 and 8, and they walk the streets, interact with the community, let them know what we're doing. We're here to address the drug problem. We're here to address the crime problem and, uh, and interface with the community. We've got another team going out from 9 to 1 in the morning where we go directly to the drug dealers and to the hot spots and to the problem spots in that, in that geographical area. And we adopted... We, this program from Indianapolis called Indy 10 Points, and the mayor heard about it and asked us to come in. We spent an hour with Mayor Ginther, and after we got done sharing with him, I took half of our executive council in, and he's got all his brass around this big table, and we're all talking about this problem. I said, Indianapolis went 634 days without a murder in the worst part of Indianapolis. Why? Because the church came together. Because the church did something because the church prayed, because the church walked the streets, because the church went to drug dealers and said, you know something, God's got a better way for you to live. Do you realize that? We'll help you out of this thing. And uh, we're going to help them get jobs. At any rate, I got in the face of the mayor. I said, Mayor, the church is the most influential organization in society. I said the tentacles of the church go out everywhere throughout the society. I said, when you get a lot of major churches like we have now in this apostolic network, moving together, walking together in the same direction, I said, you're going to see change. And he sat back in his chair and he goes, I have not felt this encouraged or this positive in a long time. And so it was really cool. The news media did a story on Channel 4, did a story on You can go to Channel 4's website and just put in pastors fight crime. And um, it'll bring it up. And they did, a, they did a great job. We've got to stick together. What else can we do? Be willing to be used by God in unexpected ways. Be ready to go when he says go. To give when he says give. It's time to step up to the plate because the time is short. So, you know what the Bible says? Let us work while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. But that is one of the most haunting scriptures in all of the Bible. Work while it is day. Do what you can when you can because the night is coming when you won't be able to do the same things. So let us work while it is day and crush Satan under our feet. What, what can you do with the days that God gives you? Adam likes these quotes from movies, so I'll give you a movie quote today from from Lord of the Rings, where Gandalf the Grey and Frodo are, are talking, and, and Frodo's frustrated because he's been given the task of taking this stupid ring all the way to Moldor. And so Frodo, Gandalf the Grey, uh, Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. And Gandalf the Grey looks at him. I knew this was significant significant phrase in that movie. He says, so do all who live in such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to do is to decide 
what to do with the time that is given to us. That's significant. I mean, I could, I could quote Bible verses say the same thing. And um, so that's, you know, I mean, that's what we can, we can be about God's business in that. Well, what else can we do? Well, in the grand scheme of things, whatever we're facing is temporary. There are spiritual realities based on the Word of God that carry more weight than the physical trials and tumults that besiege us in life. Let me say that again. There are spiritual realities based on the Word of God that carry more weight than the physical trials and tumults that besiege us in life. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, For now we look in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now we we see in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So, you know, we only have part of the picture. Even with the Bible, even with the prophetic in our midst, even with all these things, we still only have part of the picture. God has the whole picture. He's got it all worked out. Hallelujah. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that when I started my ministry back in 1973, uh, in this, not this church, but half of this church up there beyond the posts, that I depended upon God. I cast myself like Job, go down before the Lord, and I said, God, I need you. I've been through college. I've been through three years of cemetery, I mean seminary. And I'm telling you right now, I can't do this. I have to have you. Man, I pleaded with God, cast myself on God, and God showed up. And I praise his name. So whatever these tragedies, these events are, let's take it as an opportunity. Here's another thing we can do. Let's take these things as an opportunity to evangelize and to challenge others to be ready in moments notice to die and go be with the Lord. This is a, these are, these are uh, God-given platforms where we can challenge people at work, you know, at the, at the drinking fountain or whatever. You're going to engage people from time to time. These things are going to come up. That's an opportunity for us to say, hey, you know, that's true and this is bad and da-da-da-da-da, but everything has a life cycle. Even this earth has a life cycle. The sun out there, which I love, has a life cycle. I won't be here to see it end, but it is going to end, they say, five billion years from now or whatever. Everything's got a life cycle, so let's get ready for the end of the cycle because another cycle begins. God's cycle for eternity. Man, I'll tell you, this is good preaching. I don't care if I do say so. Hallelujah. So, revival can come out of these messes if we rise up and declare the Lord of heaven and earth to be sovereign over our lives and over our land and our territory and our earth, touched by the power of God. So, in conclusion, there's a final reckoning coming when the king of the universe is going to redeem us completely from the effects and misfortunes of this present realm. We must remember that as Christians, we are citizens of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. I brought my original Bible today because this thing's anointed. I just wanted to have the anointing today. Praise the Lord. We're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That is good news. Amen. We must remember that. We must focus on the Lord and his place of supremacy in the heavenly places. Jesus is seated. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 tells us at the right hand of the Father on high. He's the head. We're the body. The body's connected to the head. So we're with him. We're ruling. We're here to enforce. We're here to demand, uh, to declare and decree the things that God has already said in his word and to reinforce and to enforce the word of God in a prophetic nature to the world around us. We abide in the presence of God and we overcome evil with good. Nobody else is doing that. Only the church is overcoming evil with good. Let's do it and let's use these opportunities as a point of contact to see that happen. You know why? Because the enemy will do his best to try to destabilize the world in order to destabilize the church. That's really what he's about. He wants to destroy the church. He's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly, more abundantly. You know, when Mary and Martha stood at the tomb of Lazarus, and Jesus didn't come on time, uh, but Jesus was sad because they, they, were, they were so worldly focused that they weren't living in that time of expectation that the Bible said would happen when Jesus was in their midst. And so they thought, well, you know, this, this is our disaster. And we, we miss our brother Lazarus, but he's dead now. He's been in there four days, man. Don't you touch that stone. Don't do it, man. He stinketh. Jesus said, roll the stone away. And he spoke into that cave. And he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out like Boris Karloff in the mummy. And he said, unwrap him and let him go. And he, he was back to life, risen from the dead. Whew. I bet there were some believers, Adam, in that crowd after that happened, man. Oh, my gosh, I'm, gonna follow, I'm following Jesus from now on. I don't care what you do. We must understand that. We've got to be wiser than our enemy, and we've got to have uh, grace and mercy and peace in our lives for the next thing that God has for us in this journey. So I pray that some of this uh, will help you as you and I negotiate um, this world that we live in of natural disasters, tragedies, tragedies, I can't even speak, and uh, these kinds of things in our lives. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Praise God. Hallelujah. I don't know where you're at, but I want to say today that, you know, if, if Jesus is not your Savior today, then I want to give you the opportunity to make Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord because that is when things really begin to pop in your life. That's when understanding begins to come to you, a whole new level of living 
takes place when God comes into your life. And so if there's anyone here today, we, we would like to pray with you. Anyone here today who's never received Jesus as their Savior, we'd like to take a moment and just pray. Anyone at all, just, just raise your hand. We're all in this together. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we praise you and we thank you for the comforting of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father God, that, that uh, as the disciples went through their days and their weeks and their months, they, had, they moved in the, in, the, in the power of God and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we as a church want to move in that comfort also. We want to be known as your people who are salt and light, that when a disaster or a tragedy or a misfortune comes to us or to someone else, we can be there to help, to stay with a, a, a calm hand of peace and assurance and understanding and blessing. Father, that's your church in this world. Thank you, God, that there is a church in this world that can follow and can be Jesus in the flesh to our generation. And we pray your blessing upon all that we've said and all that we've done today. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we stand and sing?